This evening, I want to share with you a few thoughts on living the right way, living the right way. And I want to look at a, a few verses from 1 Samuel chapter 15, 1 Samuel 15, and we'll primarily focus on verses 22 and 23 as we look at living the right way. 1 Samuel 15, verses 22 and 23, I will in a moment look at some of the, the background information leading up to what the context here in 1 Samuel 15 is speaking of. As we hopefully prepare to vote this upcoming week, one truth must be evident, that the Bible is our only and final authority in all matters. It is to God that we are all one day accountable to, not ourselves, not the church, or a panel of earthly experts and professionals. Therefore, it must be God's word that we are living in accordance to. The teachings of man and the wisdom of man is always changing, but the word of God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So take comfort in God's word, because we can know exactly what God expects of us at all times simply by opening up the Bible and reading it. Living by the standards of the world would involve us constantly changing from day to day as the world standards, as we watch them, they're changing every single day. What was acceptable 20 years ago is completely different today. Uh, what was normal 20 years ago, it's terrifying to think about what's normal and what's accepted today. All Christians have the responsibility to be searching through the Bible and learning as much about God as possible. Don't just take a person's word for being true, not even a pastor. I don't care if he has a track record of preaching only biblical truth. Any person, any human being is a fallible individual and can slip up and can t tell something that isn't true. So don't ever trust an individual. Go back to the word of God. Let that be your final authority on everything. We're all going to stand before Christ one day, and none of us will be able to make the excuse, well, I didn't know because my pastor never told me. God's not going to stand there and say, oh, you know what? Okay, you can come on through because you're right, your pastor never told you, and it is clearly the responsibility of your pastor to be accountable for everything you do and everything you believe. Now, I will have to be accountable for everything that I do as the Lord has set me here to be his under-shepherd, but you all are accountable for yourselves as well. You're accountable for what you learn and for what you take in after the word of God is brought forth and taught. You're not going to be able to plead ignorance when you stand before Christ. Neither are you going to be able to simply uh, get by with a knowledge of what the Bible says because Christ requires obedience to his word and not just a knowledge of his word. God, here in 1 Samuel 15, had made Saul the first king of Israel. Samuel was God's prophet and he came to Saul to bring a command from the Lord. God was going to punish the Amalekites for their wickedness against the nation of Israel. And he was going to use King Saul to punish them. Notice, this is earlier on in 1 Samuel 15. Notice what the Bible says in verses 1 through 3. 1 Samuel 15, 1 through 3. Samuel also said unto Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not. 
but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. Saul is given a very clear command. Utterly destroy everything. Don't even let them be a thought anymore. And Saul proceeds to gather his army of over 200,000 men, and he marches to a city of Amalek. He was given very clear and specific instructions to spare no one, to spare nothing. But notice what we see in verses 8 and 9. It says, And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive, and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatlings and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them, but everything that was vile and refuse that they utterly, that they destroyed utterly. So he's given a very clear, specific command. And what does he do? He gets his army that God has supplied him with, and he goes and he destroys everyone except for the king and the choice cattle. They bring those back as spoils of war. The Amalekites were wicked people. They were deserving of this punishment from God. Before you think this is too harsh, they had this coming. But Saul took matters into his own hands, and he chose to disregard the instructions of God. Now, needless to say, Samuel would find out about Saul's disobedience. Samuel was the one who first came to him in verses 1, 2, and 3. said, this is what God commands. Utterly destroy them. Leave nothing. We want no trace of the Amalekites left at all. And notice what happens in verses 13 and 14. Samuel returns. It says, And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed be thou of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, what meaneth then this bleeding of the sheep in mine ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? So Samuel comes after they've had this great battle with the Amalekites, after they've utterly destroyed almost everyone, but spared Agag and spared the choice animals. And he says, Saul says, so good to see you, Samuel. I've done all that God has commanded me to do. And Samuel says, then what is this noise that I'm hearing? What are these animals that have been spared? And he asks him why he hasn't obeyed the word of God. Word of God. Agag was spared along with all sorts of animals, all of which were supposed to be utterly destroyed. In one moment, Saul goes from being happy and excited at the thought of Samuel being pleased because in Saul's mind, and this is what he's trying to convince Samuel of, I have obeyed the commandment of God. To then he goes and acknowledges that there is some wrongdoing, but he's not yet ready to accept the blame. Look at what it says in verse number 15. This is Saul's response to Samuel. And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Now, back in verse 13, Saul was thinking that Samuel was going to be extremely pleased but now he knows that Samuel is aware that he didn't exactly follow the letter of the law. Again, look at verse 13 again. He says, Blessed be thou of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And then verse 15 he says, Oh yeah, the people brought the king alive and the people decided to take some spoils of war. But we're going to sacrifice, sacrifice it all unto the Lord. So we're good. 
he is thinking that he is, Samuel is going to be pleased, even though he didn't follow the letter of the law. And notice what we then read in verses 16 through 19. Then Samuel said unto Saul, Stay, and I will tell thee what the Lord hath said to me this night. And he said unto him, Say on. And Samuel said, When thou wast little in thine own sight, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed thee king over Israel. And the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil, and didst evil in the sight of the Lord? Samuel reminds Saul that it was God who set him in this position in the first place. God made him king over Israel. It was God who had made him successful in every military campaign. It was God who also came and instructed him at the beginning of the chapter to utterly destroy the Amalekites. It was God who Saul ultimately disobeyed. And notice how Saul still refuses to accept the blame in verses 20 and 21. And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and have gone the way which the Lord sent me, and have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. It's, it's almost... You want to reach into the pages of Scripture and just grab Saul by the, sh by the shirt and say, Do you even listen to what you're saying? Can you hear the words that you're speaking to the prophet Samuel as he very clearly said, God has said, utterly destroy them. From the smallest of, smallest of them to the largest of them, all of them are gone. No animals left. Nothing no one is going to talk about the Amalekites anymore once you're done with them. And yet you bring the king back and you bring all the spoils of war, all these animals, and yet you can still stand before me and say, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and have gone the way which the Lord sent me. Do you see how ridiculous this is? He still wouldn't accept that he was wrong for what he did. God's instructions were crystal clear. He knew what needed to be done to please God, but he chose to do things his own way, and then he tries to defend himself by arguing that he did indeed follow the instructions of God. If this is not an accurate description of what we see happening in the world today, I don't know what is. We have taken part of God's word and then we put our spin on it and redefined it, reprinted it, and then tried to convince ourselves that a partial obedience to God's word is enough that God would be pleased with what we're doing. There is no such thing as partial obedience. If this is not just an accurate description of what we're seeing, it's ridiculous to see this. As long as we sprinkle in some verses here and there, we think that we'll be fine and it'll all pass for obedience to God because yet we may be selective here in this part, but we follow this part to the letter of the law. More and more we're seeing politicians doing this, seemingly in an attempt to appeal to those who go to church. Personally, there is nothing more aggravating when we see politicians quote scripture and they have no idea what they're even saying. And... Go out and vote. Go out and vote. Vote biblical precepts. Vote biblical truth. 
More and more we're seeing this. The frustrating thing is that most of the time, these people don't know what they're saying at all and end up twisting God's word in order to fit their own personal agenda. You might be the greatest humanitarian to ever walk this earth, but if you do not truly obey the Lord, all the things that you do really mean nothing at all. And notice what Samuel told Saul in our passage this evening, verses 22 and 23 of 1 Samuel 15. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. I think these are two of the most humbling verses in all of Scripture. These words from Samuel, they cut Saul down at his knees. Saul went from pointing the finger at the people, I've obeyed. I've done what you've asked me. I brought back King Agag. I mean, I don't know what this guy's thinking. They're the ones who wanted all the spoils of war. They're the ones. But, you know, we're going to make it right, God, because we're going to have them sacrifice all of these to some grand gesture for you. That's going to make it all better, even though we disobeyed and didn't do this right in the first place. The logic goes just unbelievable how people can convince themselves of this. He went from pointing the finger at the people to pointing the finger at himself. And many people are, are buying into these lies that partial obedience to God's word is completely acceptable. The message that is being taught around the world today is not a message of turning to Christ in repentance and faith, but a message of peace and safety. People all around are being lied to as they're told that God isn't interested in you dealing with your sin, that God just wants you to feel good about who you are and to know that he'll take care of you no matter what. There is urgency now more than ever for people to be turning to God, but the message being pro proclaimed the loudest is that is that you're actually, there is no need for urgency because things are calm, things are peaceful, and there's no reason for anyone to be alarmed. In the prophet Jeremiah's day, things were much the same as we probably see them here today. God would bring devastating judgment to Jerusalem in his day. Listen to what it says in Jeremiah chapter 6 and verses 13 to 14. It says, For from the least of them, even unto the greatest of them, everyone is given to covetousness. And from the prophet, even unto the priest, everyone dealeth falsely. They have healed also the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. The prophet Jeremiah, he ministered in a day where it was a very, very, very lonely position for him to be in. Uh, he is referred to as the weeping prophet, a man who was just burdened over his people who didn't listen to him, didn't want to listen to him, looked upon him as a lunatic and a crazed man when he's the only sane person around. And he is literally the only one talking about the judgment that is at the door if the people don't turn to God and make things right. And everyone else is labeling him a lunatic and they're declaring that everything's fine, everything's peaceful, there's no cause for alarm whatsoever. He stood alone in his devotion to God while everyone was off in their disobedience to God. And as, as if disobedience wasn't bad enough, what the leaders were doing was declaring this false message of hope and peace from God. God was warning Israel that judgment was coming if they didn't turn back to him, if they didn't change their ways. 
But the other prophets and the priests were not wanting to frighten the people and give them a different, and they gave them a different message. And God said that, he said, they healed also the hurt of the people. He says, slightly, saying, peace, peace. Slightly, because as much as you tell lies, and as comforting as it is for these people to hear that there is no reason for alarm, eventually the truth is going to come out. And the peace and message of peace, peace that the prophets were declaring is actually going to be found out that they were completely wrong. And Jeremiah was the true prophet. You have Jeremiah in one corner calling for repentance and all the other leaders in the other corner calling for everyone to be at peace and calm and that there's no reason to be fearful. True Bible teachers and preachers today, I think, share this title with Jeremiah where they're labeled almost as lunatics. When the world is teaching a message of peace and calm, those who are standing upon the word of God are looked upon as crazy. Saul should have nipped this issue in the bud. The moment he saw the people trying to take for themselves the sheep and the oxen, Agag should have never been taken alive. If it truly was the people that rebelled against the word of the king, King Saul should have never allowed them to rebel. He should have taken care of them. He should have destroyed them as well with the Amalekites. The problem with Saul is the problem that we, what we see today. Obedience to God's word is not viewed as, as utmost importance. Let's figure out a way to obey God's word while getting what we want out of this too is the mindset of the world. Saul and the people knew the word of God. They willingly chose to disobey it to get what they wanted out of it. Saul had the power to, to stop everything. But instead he chose to give the people what they want to give ultimately himself what he wanted. And he tried to justify it to God when the time came for him to be judged. If we're ever going to see changes for God here in, in New York on the immediate side, the Bible has to be our guide for everything that we say and do. No matter how unpopular it makes us, and it will be increasingly unpopular as the day goes on. Saul was more concerned with giving the people what they wanted instead of obeying the voice of the Lord. Church is not about showing up and, and feeling good about yourself. It's about hearing the penetrating word of God and determining to follow after what God has called you to do no matter what. The majority of the people preferred Saul's method, though, instead of what God had declared. It was the same in Jeremiah's day. It was the same in Saul's day. And it's the same even today, that the people prefer a false message of peace instead of the truth of God's word. It's evident today that people are the same. Because what they're going after is more worldly than heavenly. And this proves that God is not the one that we're living to please. Instead, we're living to please ourselves. We're telling ourselves that God will be pleased with all of our efforts because in the eyes of the world, they seem to be good, but in the eyes of God, they mean nothing because God is not interested in any sort of religious show that we put on. And notice again what it says in these two verses, 1 Samuel 15, verses 22 and 23. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. The message of the gospel has become so perverted today because it is taught that God is more interested in your religious show rather than your obedience to his word. The church today has made it its goal to make people feel better about where they are instead of preparing them for where they're going. 
And our calling as Christians is much higher and greater than making people feel good about a life here on earth. We're to lead them to a citizenship in heaven. Listen to what we're told in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 13. It says, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. That's what we should be focusing on. We should be focusing the attention of all of our people onto something that is much better than this earth, something that is far greater than what this earth can ever offer, a new heaven, as the Bible says, and a new earth that God has promised to establish. Christians ought to be living holy lives that set us apart from the people of the world. It should be clear that we're citizens of heaven, that the Bible is our guide for all spiritual living, that we will obey it even if it is unpopular in this culture. We don't have to be discouraged if people don't believe our message or don't always turn their lives over to Christ whenever we go out and personally evangelize. We just need to be the ones declaring God's truth and living it ourselves. It has been said of Christians that we're not responsible to God for the souls that are saved, but we're responsible for the gospel that is preached and for, that, for the way in which we preach it. We're not going to fix the world's problems and change every person's mind, but we can still know the Bible and share it effectively, and we can still go out and vote biblically when the opportunity presents itself. The message of the Bible, it has long been an unpopular message. It's the message of Jeremiah that warned of judgment about the people. It's the message of Samuel that required a complete obedience because other than that, there is no obedience. It's a message that goes against what people want to hear. Nonetheless, the message of the Bible is the message that people need to hear. In order for us to be disciples of Christ, we need to be disciplined in God's word. We need to not only have a knowledge of the Bible, but make it the book by which we live by. We need to surrender our lives over to God and come into this close and personal fellowship with him, not just for an hour or two a week, but every single day. Obedience requires acknowledging that God knows from day to day what is going to be best for our lives. The problem today is that more emphasis is placed on unity and love rather than obedience to Christ. We want to be united with all people and show love to all people, and often that comes at the expense of the truth. God has called us to obedience. You can't obey God if you're more focused on loving everyone, accepting everyone, and giving everyone what they want. We can love them, but the Bible also tells us to admonish people in love. And sometimes that means you need to hit them over the head with the Bible and show them the error of the way. Saul thought he could do it all, but he found that obedience to God had to be thrown out the window if the desires of the people were to be met. Jesus made the matter very clear when he said in John 14, verses 23 and 24, he said, if a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings. Notice again what Samuel told Saul here in verse 22. Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. Saul thought that by offering a great sacrifice to God, that God would be pleased and somehow overlook this act of disobedience. God had made it so clear to him what was required. Very clearly, he said, utterly destroy all that they have. That's it. Clear as crystal. Saul, I want nothing left of Amalek. They are wicked people who deserve to be punished for their wickedness. And I'm using you as the agent and the instrument by which to bring their judgment. Wipe them off the face of the earth. 
To which Saul responds, God, I know you told me to utterly destroy the Amalekites, but I did you one better. I brought their king, and I brought their finest animals, and I'm going to offer a sacrifice to you like you've never seen before. I know that technically that's not what you asked, but I think you're really going to be pleased with what I have to offer. We act like God's word contains a list of suggestions on how to live, suggestions that are up for negotiation, but that's not the case. It's not that God's plans for us are just good. God's plans for us are perfect. God knows better than we will ever know, and therefore what, we, what he instructs should be followed with complete obedience. We have no place to tweak, to update, to change, to ignore any part of the Bible whatsoever. We're to proclaim it as it is, teach it as it is, and live as it instructs. It may not be the popular message that will draw everyone's attention, but it is the only message that will lead sinners to their Savior. This is why it's important to do things the right way. In Proverbs 14, verse 12, and 16, verse 25, it states in both these verses, it says, There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. God is not interested in hearing how we would instruct ourselves to live. He already knows that that way leads to death. He knows what is best for us, and that's why he's given us his word. It's rather foolish of us when we act like Saul and think that God is somehow going to be pleased when we've gone and, and rearranged his word and tweaked it to make us feel a little bit better, and we've gone and disobeyed him. That would be like ignoring and neglecting your mother 364 days a year, and then on Mother's Day, buying her a great, great big gift and saying, Happy Mother's Day, Mom, aren't you pleased with all that I've done for you today? That's not how it works. God is not honored with a gesture or with a gift, but he's honored more with our obedience. Again, he says, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. There is nothing that you can give God that will ever serve as a substitute for your obedience. God's not looking for your name to appear on a membership list or to see how many awards that you have been given or to see how many times you've even read through the Bible. All of these are good things. But God is concerned with what you're doing with the knowledge of your Bible. Are you living for yourself or are you living to please him with your obedience? The prophet rebukes Saul over burnt offerings and sacrifices. But the truth is, God delights in those things. He does enjoy burnt offerings and sacrifices. The problem is that Saul was trying to use offerings and sacrifices to replace obedience to God. Your obedience to God's word is what matters first and foremost. And that is what pleases God. Without this vital ingredient of obedience, nothing is going to be acceptable to God. He's not interested in all the other demonstrations and the works that you can do in his name if they're not preceded by obedience. When you're not living the right way, your life will be completely off balance. You'll always feel as if something is off, and that's good because it's only when we're living in obedience to God that we have stability in our lives. It's only when we're living in obedience to God that we reach our potential in Christ. Obedience is not always easy, and often we'll have to fight off our own impulses, which want to do things differently than what God would have us to do. But following God's ways are always, always best. As we consider all that Christ has done for us, it, it should be our supreme desire to obey his commands. Christ submitted his will 
to do the will of the Father. And through his death and burial and resurrection, he delivered them who, through fear of death, were all their lifetime subject to bondage. If we're to be disciples of Christ, it is the path of obedience that we need to be following every single day. It goes against the popular teaching of the day, but it is the only life-changing and life-giving message of the day. Victorious Christians are the ones who have gained a proper understanding of what God has done for us. Victorious Christians are the ones who understand that everything Christ has done for us is purely out of love and it is completely undeserved. Victorious Christians understand that their lives are not their own, but that they now belong to Christ and they're held by Him forever. Victorious Christians understand that they need to abide in Christ for he is the vine and we are the branches. They understand that whether it rains or shines, they receive their nourishment and their fruitfulness from Jesus Christ, the vine. Without this abiding in Christ, any sort of change is impossible. So as we think about what we're going to be doing here in a couple days, hopefully going to polling places and how, thinking about and praying about how we're going to vote, understand that the way you vote matters significantly. And we should vote consistently with God's word. You can spend your entire life trying to do one thing after another to please God. But it all means nothing if you're not living in true obedience to God's word. To obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. Things may not be as they should be right now. But I pray that through diligent and faithful Christians, Christians that will vote for those who stand closest to God's word, that we may see a change in this world. God has made it clear what he requires of us, and it starts with a complete obedience to him and to his word. May we live the right way. Would you bow with me in prayer tonight? Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for the reminder that we have, Lord, to live in obedience to you. Lord, while, we, while you do delight in the works and the things that we can do for you, ultimately, Lord, what you desire more is our complete obedience. Lord, help us to never miss the truth of that. Help us to never get, Lord, so disoriented where we're more concerned about acts of service as we are devotion and obedience to your word. I pray, Lord, that we would be so full of the knowledge of you from day to day knowing what you require of us, knowing, Lord, what you're asking of us and how to live. And that each day, Lord, we would be known as believers who follow true with your word. As unpopular as it may be, Lord, may we honor you with how we live and may we live the right way. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing.